Miss Marion Collins. Good evening. Carl Van Dorn. How do you do? Ellery Queen. I'm Ellery. I'm Queen. And our genial master of literary ceremonies, that distinguished humorist and light versifier, Ogden Nash. On behalf of our sponsor, welcome audience, seen and unseen, to the first broadcast of Author, Author. Briefly put, Author, Author is a game of story invention in which you'll be able to hear how America's most famous writers invent their story plot. Ellery Queen, whom you all know as collaborators on detective fiction, and I will be with the program from week to week. Two different guest authors will play the game with us each broadcast. And tonight's guests are Miss Marion Collins, radio and short story writer, and Carl Van Doren, distinguished critic and novelist whose recent biography of Benjamin Franklin is among America's bestsellers. The game of author-author begins with a little drama. It's called The $2,001 Watch. The scene is Spiffin's, famous Fifth Avenue jewelry shop. As the store opens... The day's first customer, a shabbily dressed man, enters and speaks to Mr. Stillman, sales clerk. Good morning. I'd like to see a watch. Yes, of course. Any particular kind of watch? No. Any watch. Very good, sir. Now here, sir, is a very fine platinum case jewel watch. Uh, what's the price of it? $2,000, sir. I'll give you $1 for it. Uh, $1? That's what I said. Excuse me, sir, but are you serious? I offer you one dollar for that watch, and I mean... Get out of here! Get out! Is this your idea of a joke? Why, what's the commotion about? Why, why, this man, Mr. Spiffin, has the nerve to owe me one dollar for this $2,000 watch. Very well. Sell the gentleman the watch for the dollar. Our little drama has rather an unexpected ending, and that's where our four authors come in. Their part of the game now is to create extemporaneously a logical, logical beginning to explain why a man should have the nerve to offer one dollar for a two thousand dollar watch, and why the jeweler should have the geniality to uh, accept it. To put it like a jacket blurb on a book, they've got to tell us what unusual tale of romance, sentiment, or intrigue lies behind this paradox of spittings. Their stories are unrehearsed. Don't mind if they stumble a bit. That's the idea of author author. Now. Uh, Miss Collins, Mr. Van Doren, uh, who'd like to take a shot at that? Oh, don't pick on me for the first one. I think one of the queens should go first. Well, well queens first by all means. Well, I, I think I think Ellery should come first. Ellery comes before queen. Well, that may be true, but in the telephone book, queen comes first. Well, telephone book. <laughs> well, I I'll yield to that authority. I suppose I'm on the spot here. As I see it. Uh, Mr. Spiffin, I'll have to start my story with Mr. Spiffin. Mr. Spiffin, in his uh, off moments, at the times when he's not at his establishment, has a hobby. He's, uh, he doesn't play golf, particularly, nor does he care terribly much for bridge or uh, cultivating spring onions. He collects coins. He's one of those peculiar people, that, uh, like stamp collectors, for example, who collects coins. Now, he has developed a tremendous collection over the period of many years. As a matter of fact, it's probably one of the greatest collections of rare coins in the world. Very expensive collection. And one thing has always been the bane of Mr. Spiffin's existence. He hasn't been able to get hold of a certain very rare coin. It's a $1 coin uh, of American, American extraction. It's worth $5,000. He's been willing to pay almost any price for it, but he hasn't been able to find one. 
Well, now, when Mr. Spiffin came in, he came out to see what the commotion was about, he noticed that the dollar, the dollar which the shabbily dressed man was offering to Mr. Stillman, the clerk, was not a bill, but a coin. And what was it but this very coin? Well, of course, he was going to... that proves it can be done. Uh, now we have an interlude known as the uh, Are You Sure period. <laughs> Comments and criticisms, insults, uh, pro and con are invited on Mr. Queen's explanation. I wonder if Mr. Queen himself is a coin collector. I wonder if he has the first dollar he ever made. <laughs> in fact, I never made, made a first dollar. <laughs> well, it's easy to begin on the second, I suppose. But, uh, are there any uh, uh, further... That was an insult, wasn't it? <laughs> Any criticism? Uh, I can only criticize the insult. <laughs> uh, well, then, perhaps, uh, Miss Collins, have you a reconstruction of this uh, episode? Well, I have a fairly simple one. Uh, I can visualize that a great many years ago, Mr. Sniffen possibly was a, uh, an apprentice in a um, uh, jewelry store and uh, had an, uh, an opportunity to buy a store and no money being a young man and uh, poor and struggling, one thing or another. And he had a, an old friend whom he approached for the capital, which consisted of $2,000. He started in business with that and uh, made the very distinguished uh, uh, jewelry shop known today as Sniffens. And uh, as he approached the clerk and this shabbily dressed man to see what the commotion was about, he recognized the old friend who had advanced him the money for the, uh, his, the opening of his business, whom he had forgotten all over these years and had repudiated the, uh, the loan. And he felt that uh, he would be justified in uh, uh, accepting the dollar for the watch in as much as the $2,000 would mean the, dis the discrepancy yeah. between there would be the $2,000 he uh, had borrowed. Was that... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Mr. Nash, I suppose it would apply to Spiffins as well as to Smithins. <laughs> I'd like to quarrel with the ethics of Mr. Sniffin or Sniffin. Let's compromise on uh, He owes this man $2,000 for a long time, but that watch didn't cost him $2,000. I've been wondering about that. <laughs> At best, it cost him $1,000. He rather got out of it easily, didn't he? Well, I think the man was just having his conscience fun. Personally, <laughs> <laughs> I think the man was very lucky to get the watch. Uh, Mr. Van Dorn, would you like to uh, make a try at this? Well, I shall have to bring in the brief tragic note. I figure that Mr. Spiffen lived in Mawa, New Jersey. <laughs> and three days before, um, his um, only heir had been kidnapped. And since that time, he had been getting a daily letter. He always found it lying on the sidewalk when he left his house. The first day, it had said... Watch the shabby customer. And the second day, he mysteriously said $2,000. And the uh, third day, it had said nothing at all. He was very much embarrassed. Now, he was actually hanging around in the store all the time because he watched every customer that came in. But when this customer came in, and when uh, he offered $1 for the uh, $2,000 um, uh, watch, 
Mr. Stephen, listening for a while, became convinced that this was a shabby uh, customer. This was the $2,000. And the way for him to communicate his willingness to uh, pay whatever ransom or to deal with the kidnappers was to give in now and say that he would take $1 for a $2,000 watch. Genius, and I should think foolproof uh, explanation. Yeah, yeah, quite foolproof. Uh, uh, not quite. Uh, well, uh, I yield you, Mr. Green. Well, I was just about to say before you were going to put your annoying voice into the microphone. Because, uh, I mean, you and I never. I didn't give a story. You shouldn't echo me. <laughs> well, I was just about to say that we ought to look to our laurels. Mr. Van Doren, who's never, to my knowledge, done a detective story, has just reconstructed one very beautifully. And in a minute and a half. Ah, uh, yes. But you forget that I have read all the Queen's detective stories. Thank you. Oh, very nice. I had something to say, Mr. Nash. Mr. Van Doren spoke of the third note as saying nothing at all. Uh, how did he know it was a third note if it said nothing at all? I meant to say the third day he'd got no note at all. Well, I think you got out of that very neatly, sir. <laughs> Mr. Ellery, uh, well, I have... Uh, I wonder if there is a fourth solution anywhere. Uh, I visualize uh, Mr. Spiffen as having a friend who was very fond of uh, making ridiculous uh, bets. The previous night after a game of chess in Mr. Spiffen's uh, home, his friend suggested a bet, something along these lines. He bet Mr. Spiffen $2,000 that the next morning he wouldn't okay the very first transaction that would take place in the Spiffen jewelry store. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Spiffen, to humor his friend, agreed to accept the bet, and uh, early the next morning, uh, the friend hired the shabby man for a few dollars to go in and offer one dollar for a $2,000 watch. Now, Mr. Spiffen found himself in a rather peculiar position. If he refused to sell the $2,000 watch for one dollar, he would have to pay the $2,000 bet to his friend and therefore be out $2,000. However, if he accepted the $1 for the $2,000 watch, he would not have to pay the $2,000, and would be, actually be $1 ahead on the transaction. And, and I haven't brought in sales tax, because that might make it complicated. Well, I think he could have had it start out of the state, couldn't he, to avoid the sales tax. Yes, I know about the price, the original price of that watch. And now, um, to continue, author, author, with another story problem. The Extraordinary Bequest. Scene, a lawyer's office. Mr. Chalmers, the attorney, is reading a will to John Sutton. Item, to my friend John Sutton, I, William Black, give and bequeath my entire estate or the envelope herewith attached to my last will and testament. What's that? His entire estate or an envelope? Yes, that's right. Here's the envelope. Well, but, but it's empty. There's nothing in it. The estate's worth, well, easily $10,000. Yes, Black was a queer one. No telling what he had in mind. Oh, but perhaps it was only a joke. You'll take the estate, of course, seeing that uh, you're not well off, but that is financially speaking. Mr. Chalmers, I'm a poor man, and, and William Black knew it. $10,000 would mean everything in the world to me. Nevertheless, I'll take the empty envelope. An extraordinary bequest indeed. Authors, why did John Sutton, a poor man, refuse a $10,000 bequest in order to accept an empty envelope? Now, who goes first here? 
Well, uh, me. I, I mean, I pass. I think uh, shall we uh, let Miss Collins start first? Uh, uh, women and children first. Uh, I think the theory being the first lifeboat out is the one that sinks. <laughs> and here I sink. All right, I'm going to tell you the story as I imagine Mr. Sutton might have told it to uh, the lawyer sitting there across from his desk. Uh, well, I've known Mr. Black for many years. We've been associated in business. I worked for him, Mr. Black, for many years, upwards of 15 years. And he's a very mean man. I never liked him. And about 10 years ago, a niece of his came to live with him, keep house for him. She, had, Her mother and father had died. She had no money, and he came there and used her as a drudge. She took care of his house clothes, and he never gave her any money. Was it was really a very, very mean person. And I couldn't say very much. I worked for the man, but every once in a while I'd put in a word of protest against his treatment of the girl. And uh, he would ignore me, of course. And then uh, the, the years have gone by. I knew when he was dying that the girl... Uh, it was his only heir. And I think this is a pretty grim jest. Black has made it possible for me to take this money and enjoy life for the rest of my life or give it to the girl who really should have it. And he made me make the choice between the two. Well, I think that's very interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so glad Mr. Black is dead. Are there any holes that we can poke in that? It would be a shame to poke a hole in a story like that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> We'd always put Mr. Black in it, of course. <laughs> uh, Mr. Van Doren, have you a uh, suggestion? Well, nothing with that high romantic note. Uh, as I see it, uh, these two men, uh, Mr. Black and uh, Mr. Sutton, had been rival autograph uh, collectors. Um, Mr. Black. Mr. Black, who left with the estate... Um, had been more successful. And he had been able to reduce uh, the uh, legacy, Sutton, almost to poverty. So that when he died, he felt a little bit sorry. And he decided he would leave him something, but he wouldn't leave him something unless he were expert enough to know the value of it. You didn't notice the business in the story, which was that uh, when Sutton took the envelope and said the $10,000 would mean everything in the world to me, he turned it over, and he noticed something written on the back uh, of it. Now, he knew a man, a potato baron, up in Aroostook County, Maine, who had been, been spending years making a complete collection of the autographs of all of his select men of all of the town in that place. He had, as a matter of fact, every single autograph of every single selectman of every town in Aroostook, Maine, except the autograph of Ezekiel Hiram... Pratt. <laughs> and, and this was, uh, on the back there was only H.H. H. Pratt, and he wouldn't have known that, except that on the front there was, there was addressed to Chester A. Arthur, President of the United States. Now, Mr. Sutton, being an expert, knew that at one of his more frugal moments, Hiram Hezekiah, Hiram Pratt, had written a letter to Chester A. Arthur asking him to use his influence to get Pratt's son a position in West Point. <laughs> I think that shows a very 
very interesting light on uh, the life of Chester A. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing uh, that Mr. Van Doren didn't use an autograph of Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I think it was very uh, self-effacing of him, wasn't it? Well, I think there's a reason, probably, why he didn't. Did they have envelopes in Benjamin Franklin today, Mr. Van Doren? No, they, no, they didn't have. They simply folded the paper up. But I wouldn't have minded that. <laughs> Well, uh, Mr. Ellery, have you... Well, I visualize uh, Mr. Sutton as being the nephew of Mr. Black. In fact, his uh, only relative. And uh, being his only relative, for a long time, Mr. Sutton has been expecting to be Mr. Black's heir. Uh, Mr. Sutton, however, is a ne'er-do-well, a waster, a man who has a passion for gambling, and himself into serious financial difficulties. Of course, he could wait for Mr. Black to die a normal death, but he decides that if he could speed things up, it would help his own particular position. So he invented a rather clever ruse to uh, uh, help to, get, to speed up that legacy. You see, uh, Mr. Black made his modest fortune in the stationery business. He manufactured envelopes, letter paper, and so on. And uh, one day, uh, pretending to turn over a new leaf, Mr. Sutton came to his uncle, Mr. Black, and said that he had just made a remarkable discovery. He had invented a glue that didn't taste like glue. In fact, could be flavored. And if put on the backs of envelopes, people could get uh, mince-flavored black, clove-flavored black, and so on. So he sent as a sample to Mr. Black, uh, one in Mr. Black's own particular, uh, his favorite flavor, pistachio. Now, Mr. Black, uh, Mr. Black used to spend his weekends in a hunting shack in the woods all alone with no telephone, and one weekend, as he was trying his nephew's uh, uh, envelope, he realized to his horror that the uh, flat wasn't uh, pistachio-flavored, but was coated with nicotine, and, uh, of course, he was poisoned. And in leaving, in, in, in the few minutes before he, uh, he died, he left instructions to Mr. Chalmers, the lawyer, to let Mr. Sutton take either the estate or the envelope, which represented the only evidence against the the uh, nephew that he was involved in Mr. Black's death. <laughs> I think that's so ingenious that, that, that we can hardly ask any questions of uh, Mr. Ellery at all. I could heckle myself. <laughs> well, don't, don't write me any letters. <laughs> that takes care of our author's part in the game of author, author. There's also uh, a very, excuse me, uh, haven't I been left out? <laughs> oh, I beg your pardon. Oh, I thought you were. Right. Aren't you willing to be left out? No, 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 no. It's, I'd hardly call it a minor oversight. Oh, no, no, no. It's quite fine. I'd like to hear your uh, approach to this. Well, as a matter of fact, it's hardly good enough to be dignified by an approach. I merely visualized uh, uh, John Sutton as uh, a pacifist. Now, you might ask what pacifism has to do with the rejection of a $10,000 bequest the acceptance of an empty envelope. Well, he recognized the fact that on this envelope was written in invisible ink the formula, I forgot to tell you incidentally that John Sutton was a chemist, the formula of a new and powerful poison gas which would uh, decimate, I won't use the word decimate, Mr. Van Duren, that's a bad word, which would uh, depopulate the world. And uh, now he had a tough, he had a tough decision to make. If he took the envelope, he would, of course, take it merely for one purpose, to destroy it, because he was a pacifist, he didn't want to see a new weapon like this given to the world. On the other hand, if he, uh, if he left the envelope and took the $10,000 bequest, he would be leaving that thing to the world, and so, being the true idealist, he simply refused the $10,000 and took the envelope. <laughs>
I'm glad you didn't use that detonate. That means only one out of ten. <laughs> I know, I recognize that. <laughs> well, we're doing better than that nowadays, I think. <laughs> well, that seems to take care of uh, our author's part in the game of author-author. There's also a very interesting and profitable part which our audience is invited to play, and here's Mr. Lawrence to tell you about it. Ladies and gentlemen, the two-story problems we gave our authors tonight, we made up. But we'd like you, our audience, to make up the ones we use next week and every week thereafter for cash prizes. Send your story problem as many as you wish. Each problem should consist merely of the surprise ending of a story along the lines of what you heard tonight. Now, don't dramatize your story. We'll do that. All you have to do is write in a short paragraph, in as few words as you wish, the surprise ending of a story. You don't have to figure out the beginning. That's the job of our authors. Make the endings of your story problem as hard to explain as you can. Each one accepted by us and used on this program will receive $25. And here's what we'll do with the story. We'll give it to our authors and have them create the beginning right here in the studio. So come on now, listeners. Here's your chance to win $25 or more and put America's most famous authors to the test. There are no strings attached to this offer. Anyone can enter. Send us as many story problems as you wish. Send them to Author Author, care of the B.F. Goodrich Rubber Company, Akron, Ohio. Uh, just a moment, Mr. Lawrence. Yes? We're not finished yet. We'd like to have a friendly little chat with Mr. Nash. Yes, Ellery, what is it? Well, you've been having a fine time listening to us struggle with inventing story plots, and I mean struggle. I've never seen so many distinguished people quite so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Nash, let's see how good you are at inventing stories. Oh, Miss no. Collins, uh, Mr. Van Doren, Queen and I will give you a story problem. Let's hear you sound. Nothing was said about that when I came here. <laughs> and, uh, and, Mr. Nash, the audience will do the heckling this time. Uh, oh. They'll let you know what they think of your story. How about it, audience? Right. Oh, yeah. uh, no excuses now. Here we go. A, uh, a centipede. Oh. A spot. An airplane. The London Zoo. Oh, dear. I have to say, centipede, a spot. Uh, well, there it is, Mr. Nash. Make a story out of that. I do not like the centipede, a bug we do not really need. You always whack him where he's not, for if he is, he leaves a spot. <laughs> uh, Mr. Nash. Fun fest when you hear them call for all. Oh, 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 oh. 